think we're at the beginning of the end of governments having total control over money. So in the modern age, governments issue money, they print money, they print pieces of paper, and they declare the value of that via fiat, via decree. And this is kind of how the system has run for quite a while, right? And they can print more whenever they want more. Um, and a lot of governments around the world have used that power. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Alex Gladstein, the Chief Strategy Officer at the Human Rights Foundation, who claims we're at the beginning of the end. In today's episode, Gladstein explains his work for human rights in authoritative countries. The difference between fiat and cryptocurrencies and why people need to be careful when ignoring Bitcoin. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Alex Gladstein. Enjoy. All right, everyone, we are back uh, in San Francisco, California, Singularity University's Global Summit with my friend Alex Glassstein of, of the Human Rights Foundation. Alex, thanks, thanks for, for having me on. Absolutely. So what brings you to Singularity? Yeah, so in addition to my work with the Human Rights Foundation, which is a nonprofit charity group that's based in New York City, which focuses on helping protect and promote individual rights and civil liberties for people who live in very repressed societies around the world. About 4 billion people live under authoritarian governments, and HRF focuses on helping them in different ways. Beyond my work with HRF, uh, I also teach at Singularity University, and I lecture on the topics of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and decentralized systems. Well, Bitcoin is and cryptocurrency is like fundamentally revolutionary. Yes, uh, I would it, say so. In its physical form. So how do you see that changing money in the future? I think we're at the beginning of the end of governments having total control over money. So in the modern age, governments issue money, they print money, they print pieces of paper, and they declare the value of that via fiat, via decree. And this is kind of how the system has run for quite a while, right? And they can print more whenever they want more. Um, and a lot of governments around the world have used that power, right? So you're seeing like super high inflation or like hyperinflation in quite a few countries. Obviously, the most um, recent example is Argentina, where the currency just lost like 20 to 30 percent of its value in a matter of days uh, last week. Venezuela has been hyperinflating for years. They have a 10 million percent inflation rate because the government just keeps printing money. Turkey, Iran, Somaliland, I can, I can continue naming countries that, that have printed too much money. Um, there's even been a currency crisis in China recently uh, where the currency has gotten more weak. So, um, not everybody has access to the U.S. dollar, okay? So when people think about what work is, you know, when you work, you work for a wage, right? And you're working, you're turning your time and your effort into something. 
right, into into value, right, that you want uh, to basically hold its value over time, right? You want to turn your work and energy into something that that can basically be traded for other goods and services, right? So that's really what money is, right? And when you have access to the U.S. dollar and easy access to being able to take out lines of credit or easy access to take out loans, for example, to buy a house or to buy a car, um, the money system appears to work really well, right? So in America, the money system works really well, um, but not for everybody, right? For billions of people around the world, their money sucks. It doesn't hold value very well. It depreciates really fast and they can't get the dollar. It's like hard for them to get dollars. So this is the problem today. And Bitcoin is like coming right in to provide an alternative for people. So because in order to acquire Bitcoin, you don't need to set up a bank account. You don't need to prove your identity or show ID. You can just get Bitcoin. Okay. You don't need to provide any sort of government issued ID. Um, anyone can access it, right? So it provides anybody a permissionless entry into an asset that governments cannot print more of. This is really exciting. Because like, unless you're like super wealthy and you can get real estate or blue chip stocks, like more dollars, like there's not a whole lot out there that these folks can hang their hat on when it comes to like, oh, I just worked and I just got like a thousand dollars worth of wages. What do I do with it, right? A lot of people don't have a lot of options. Well, now they have access to an asset uh, where no one can stop them from acquiring it and moving it around the world. So this is a pretty revolutionary upgrade on money. At the same time, we're seeing companies start to enter the fray. So again, whereas governments used to have total monopoly over money, and now we're seeing like open source code, essentially the Bitcoin, start to compete. I would call that like people's money instead of government money. We also have corporate money, right? So Facebook has announced its plans to launch Libra, which will probably launch next year. So this will be a money that's native to Facebook's applications. So the idea would be WhatsApp, for example, which is dominant around the world, like people in India, Nigeria, Venezuela, dominantly use WhatsApp every day, right? So imagine being able to use a native money inside of WhatsApp. That would be really freaking And what's even cooler is that um, this native money will be pegged to like the dollar or the euro, these stable currencies. So it'll potentially give like hundreds of millions of people access to a stable currency. So when you're thinking about living in Nigeria and you've got the Naira, which depreciates all the time and is a really terrible store of value over time, right? Um, those folks will now be able to get access to Libra. So they'll be able to get access to better money than they had before. So I'm actually kind of bullish on, on, on what Facebook's project is going to mean for a lot of people. Um, but I'm a lot more bullish on Bitcoin because it doesn't have any 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 restrictions at all, right? It, it is something that um, does not discriminate, cannot discriminate. Uh, you know, doesn't care what gender you are, what religious minority you are. Anyone can access it. You don't need to prove anything about yourself. You don't need to have an identity to access it. And that's like the key part. We hear a lot about banking the unbanked. Well, this kind of like throws that out the window. The unbanked aren't ever going to be banked. Like, there's a lot of people who are unbanked today who don't have a brick and mortar bank account who are never going to have a brick and mortar bank account. This is what we call leapfrogging in technology, right? So they're going to go from not having a bank account to having a cryptocurrency wallet, right? To using something like Bitcoin or Libra for all their daily needs, right? And arguably that's going to be better. Uh, let's just stick to cryptocurrency yeah, yeah. and Bitcoin for now. I mean, Bitcoin excites me. Uh, yeah. You know, again, I, I think it is a revolutionary concept. Yeah. Um, the thing for me that was difficult to picture as a currency is how fast it shot 
add up in value. And most currency doesn't really do that. Is there any like limitations or things that might scare some people away from investing in something? Of course. Like that? That's why most people have a negative viewpoint of Bitcoin is they think it's too volatile uh, to be useful. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that over its time, uh, it has gone from something which is really just a science experiment created by someone named Satoshi Nakamoto. Right, don't right. create Bitcoin, but in 2009, they launched the Bitcoin software and people were mining Bitcoins with their laptops at home, you know, and they weren't worth anything for a long time. Um, one day, people decided that a Bitcoin was going to be worth a certain amount of pennies, right? And then over time, more and more people got involved and they realized that this thing was really cool, really interesting. And the price started to go up as there were more users that entered the system. And as more adoption increased, the price continued to go up. The thing is, there's no monetary policy in Bitcoin. So no one can like print more when there's more demand to like stabilize the economy. There is no one in charge. It is decentralized. That's why it's so exciting. So that means it's going to be really volatile for a long time. So volatility will continue to remain. It'll be insanely volatile for a long time. But what people need to understand is that it's upward volatility volatility over time. It goes it goes down, but it goes up again, right? So that's different from fiat currency volatility, which only goes down. So the most stable fiat currency ever is the British pound. The British pound has lost 99.5% of its value since it was created, okay? The dollar has lost more than 80% of its value since it was created against things like gold, right? So fiat currencies are only going down, right? They inflate, they dilute the value. And over time, this hurts the saver. This hurts the individual who's saving money, right? So what's interesting about Bitcoin is that over time, it has exhibited historically upward volatility. So so meaning it went from like $1 to $30, down to $2, up to $50, down to $20, up to $100. And it has gone in a zigzag, but over time, the zigzag has gone up, right? So the zigzag has brought us all the way to what it is today, which is 10,000 US dollars or 11,000 US dollars, right? So that's astronomical. That's an incredible asset. And you really, like, if you think about it, if you look at the map of Bitcoin price, um, you, you really had to be in a, you had to choose really poorly uh, to buy Bitcoin to have lost money. Like, over its over since 2009, there are, like, small windows in 2017, essentially. So it's always um, it's But it's but generally speaking, if you just look at the evidence, I mean, we, we can we can make all the predictions. People can make all the predictions they want. Right. But I'm just looking at the facts. I'm just looking at what has Bitcoin done since it was created. So generally speaking, Bitcoin has gone up. So that's really, really helpful for people who have no access to anything else that exhibits that behavior. Like real estate goes up, right? Art right. goes up. Fine art goes up. Um, there are things that go up, right? Even, even counting the bubbles, they still go up. There are crashes, but like real estate still goes up. Like still a really good idea to buy real estate in the 1980s. 1990 United States, right? So this finally gives the average person who doesn't have a huge amount of resources the ability to access an asset which cannot be devalued arbitrarily by government and which has exhibited upward volatility. And that's really exciting for a lot of people. I think just in layman's terms, you know, money is a, a means of exchange, right? So once sure. people realize that, um, you know, and more people have with, with uh, this Bitcoin, do you think this Bitcoin could be looked at as like a gold standard uh, for, for more crypto? currencies to come and how do you select just one for a certain type of a well, bit, I've been talking or... about the features of Bitcoin um, and I'll, I'll just focus on that for sure. another yeah. second but I think you should think about Bitcoin as a as like sort of an alternative to the way that the sort of monetary system works today so Bitcoin itself may be like a settlement layer 
Uh, and what I mean by that is like it may be the way that like large transactions are settled. Like currently banks um, settle transactions occasionally between banks, right? So when you like send me money, the bank doesn't actually go in and take money out of my pile and move it to yours. It literally just moves some stuff around on a ledger, right? Same thing with Visa. Visa will settle once a week or whatever, however often it does. So that's why when merchants accept Visa, they don't get paid live, right? They have to wait for the money to come, right? So Bitcoin will be like where things settle, but there'll be other software that is built on top of Bitcoin that is the payment and sort of transaction software. So within a year, you'll be able to use a very robust, good app that allows you to use something called Lightning, which is like a in, in like sort of a, a second layer technology on top of Bitcoin, kind of like an improvement on Bitcoin. You'll be able to use that to, to do daily purchases, like buy a coffee, buy something on the internet, etc. So it'll allow you to use this like kind of slow, volatile asset that, that doesn't make a lot of sense for like daily purchases. It'll allow you to use it for like instant commerce. So I'm really excited. So that's happening. And it also has comes with added benefits of protecting privacy. See, so when I talk to you about the fact that I don't need an ID to, I don't need an identity to use Bitcoin, right? So therefore, when I use the Bitcoin, no one can spy on me because there is no metadata, right? So when I use my credit card to buy something on the internet, my credit card company leaks all of that information, right? So it leaks everything about me to other parties. And that's why I get hit with advertisements moments later is because they've linked that to my email account and my Facebook account, Twitter account, etc. If I pay for something with something like Bitcoin, right? It doesn't, there, there's no, like my identity is not in the, in the Bitcoin transaction. So when the, when the merchant receives it, they can't like sell anything about me to other people because it's not in there. Okay, so it really like tackles at the base level this problem of like surveillance capitalism. Okay, right. so if I'm using Bitcoin and Lightning to transact instead of Visa and Chase, um, there are no intermediaries between me and the person I'm buying something from. There are no opportunities for people to exploit my information and share it. Okay, um, th there's only this peer-to-peer -peer interaction, right? So what I want is a world where I can use Bitcoin and Lightning to buy things, subway tickets, concert tickets, books, podcast subscriptions, doctor's appointments, you know, the small stuff. I want to be able to do all that in a way that's anonymous. I don't want people to know what I'm doing. And that's not a new concept. That's how the world used to work with the cash-based economy, right? When I would pay for something, like let's say you're selling me a coffee, I would give you a $5 bill. No one needed to know anything about that. Right. We weren't going to be spied on for that. And that was cool. Not that was like the way things were. I don't want us to go in a situation where all of our daily habits are micro-tracked with our payments. That would be bad. That's like what's happening in China today. So I think we want to preserve anonymity for small payments, right? Now, for big payments like tuition or buying a house or a car or for buying anything like weapons or whatever, I think it's reasonable to assume that like those merchants will be like forced to ask for different kinds of identification. And I think that's fine. But like for small payments, I believe Bitcoin and Lightning could bring us to a world where we don't have to be spied on all the time. And that's really, really exciting. Bitcoin blockchain takes a lot more energy, does it not, uh, for to make a transaction right now? And how might that affect like a human rights issue uh, in terms of energy yeah, supply? Interesting. So, so Bitcoin runs on proof of work, right? So this is like the engine that drives it. So okay. 
Bitcoin relies on uh, instead of one central authority like Visa to process transactions. And in that case, Visa can censor whatever it wants, right? It has power over you, right? Um, there is no central authority in Bitcoin payment processing. The process is decentralized. So miners, we call them Bitcoin miners around the world, are in a big global competition to mine the next block, basically to scoop the next group of transactions that are waiting uh, into the, the network and to process it. And if they do it the right way, they get rewarded, right? So there's this financial incentive for this decentralized payment processing. There's no way to do like censorship, which is which is pretty exciting. Now, very in order exciting. to do so, it uses a lot of energy. Now, there are two ways to look at this. Number one, all civilizational improvements require more energy. So if you think about a, a modern hospital versus a field tent, right. what uses more energy? Think about all the people who used to spend all their time fetching water or laboriously washing clothes. So now we have washing machines and water systems that use a hell of a lot more energy, right? Electricity put tons of people out of jobs, but it allowed them to do other jobs because it uses more energy. Think about a refrigerator versus an icebox. So think about a car instead of a horse, right? So civilization advances according to how much energy we spend. This is like an observable thing. Bill Gates recommended a book about this. It's a really good one. Smeal about the energy of civilizations. It's like a history of energy. Okay. Now, what we're hoping from an environmental perspective is that all this energy that gets increasingly used is renewable. So it doesn't damage the environment. So that's why it's really exciting to see that 75% of Bitcoin mining today is done with renewable energy. So it's done with hydroelectric, uh, solar, geothermal, etc. Okay. And we want to get that to 100%. So there's a lot of people working on that. We really want this to be something that's 100% renewable energy. And that's quite feasible. Uh, if you actually look at the trends in the industry and what people are doing, I think it's re- it is it is possible to see a world in 20 years where all Bitcoin mining, even though it requires a ridiculous amount of energy, that it's all renewable energy. Okay. Um, the other thing to think about is that what is it replacing? Okay. So Bitcoin is an alternative to the banking system. The banking system uses much, 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 much more energy than Bitcoin right now, okay? So the financial system, think about what happens when you make a transaction. Think about all the companies and governments and PR offices and interns and HR departments and armed guards and gold and all the stuff that goes into keeping that transaction possible, right? Um, Bitcoin just replaces all of it, right? So there is no good apples to oranges comparison done, to my knowledge. We don't really know. But we do know that the existing bank system uses a heck of a lot more energy per, per transaction than Bitcoin. Um, we'll have to see how that goes, but it's something also to think about. Like, this isn't like what, what an example of something that'd be like a, a waste of energy would be like Christmas lights to me. So Christmas lights every, use more energy than Bitcoin yeah. so just in America. So I would argue that Christmas lights are like really cosmetic. They don't really add value to society. They're kind of pretty, but like we could certainly not use Christmas on, lights. Like Christmas save, lights? I mean, I love Christmas, but like we could not use Christmas lights and save a tremendous amount of energy. But no one's arguing about Christmas lights. Why? What do you think? Uh, because everyone loves Christmas. Okay, right. Well, I don't, there could be different answers, but people are like picking on the energy thing as a way to attack Bitcoin, which is really bizarre. Like, well, yeah, let's just be point. fair. Let's pick on yeah. like Christmas lights. Like, sure. like Bitcoin provides this incredible value. Like Bitcoin provides a tool for us to transact value in a way we've never been able to do before without a, without a central authority and in a way that doesn't require us to have a bank account. It's like this incredibly liberating tool. It's really valuable to a lot of people around the world. 
world. So it's not a waste of energy. You know, like what a, a Christmas lights would be a good example of a waste of energy. So people need to be really careful about the way that they have this debate. They should be aware that the overwhelming majority of Bitcoin mining is done with the renewables. Okay, number one, and that there are people trying to make that even higher. So they should join that effort if they want the money system to be renewable. The existing banking system is much more fossil fuel based than Bitcoin. So like let's let's actually flesh this out and look at this. Um, and the second thing is an awareness that like yes, like increased technology does use more energy than stuff that it replaced. Okay. So oh, like just that. to go back to one more example, like when I used to want to communicate with you around the world, I had to like go cut down a tree, write it like cure the paper, kill some animals or whatever, break up some rocks to make ink, write the ink on the paper, put it in another piece of paper, put it on a horse, send it halfway around the world on a boat, and then you would read it, right? Now we just like send an email, right? So so think about the the, the, the difference there, right? So one was a lot more laborious and may have took like less net energy, but we have advanced as a civilization. So, I mean, that's just the way things go and people should study the history of energy. Like, like new advancements will use more energy. Our job is to make sure that they, that it's, that it doesn't hurt the planet and that it, that it helps. So I think there's an opportunity there. That, this doesn't really relate so much to human rights, but it's something I wanted to, I wanted to go down that path a little bit with you. Yeah, no, totally. And thanks for sharing. I think that's a, I've never heard that perspective before. And I think that's a great uh, way you phrase that compared to the two. Um, so back to the original point though, yes. everything that you've covered has been revolutionary um, and can be revolutionary in terms of uh, no more data for governments. Um, they can't collect my information. Uh, I'm not giving away my bank account information to hackers that could potentially hack a centralized system. You can, you can do transactions in Bitcoin right. without disclosing your personal identity stack, your home address, your, name, okay. your email, your phone number. Thanks for correcting me. Um, no, you, you're the, right. You're right. The, uh, the, I guess the, the point I'm trying to get to is um, with, how do we work with the governments? Is this something that's completely going to strip them of all their power over us? Or is this something that can be worked out well I mean, like tax we like tax yeah we can you know, look things. at things yeah. like the mobile phone and email and understand that this did chip away at government's ability to control people yeah but it also allowed us to innovate and and, and get better and get get more effective as as as, as, a, as a human race right these are like really good improvements in our ability to interact with innovate with and communicate with each other right so Governments are going to be afraid at first, right? Because it's going to take their power over money away from them. Or it's going to start to, a little bit, bit by bit. It won't be like in one day, but like over five years, 10 years, 25 years, uh, the governments will have a lot less power over money than they used to. This is like kind of obvious. Um, Now, I think what they should view is, is two things. Number one, they should be competitive. Like your government should be the government that's like open to this innovation and like you want to be the next Silicon Valley, right? Like you want to be the place where all this innovation goes down so that you can benefit from it and attract the top talent. You don't want to be introducing draconian legislation to drive people away because then they're going to go build it somewhere else. You know, there's not going to be a global ban on this. It's not going to happen. So it'd be smart for governments to like welcome this and try to figure out how to capture value. That would be number one. Number 
two is like you're going to hear a lot is this like oh only bad people are going to use this or terrorists or drug dealers or whatever it's the same argument people made about the internet it literally is the same if you go back and read people were like the internet is going to empower pedophiles and sex traffickers and drug dealers and terrorists hysteria well you know what yeah all those people could use the internet but that's not the net impact it made on humanity like it actually just allowed anybody in the world to get access to all the world's knowledge right pretty amazing right so so people have a really simplistic view of this um what people should think about is that the vast majority overwhelming virtual almost all financial crime in the world happens with fiat money through banks and the criminals are banks and governments they commit almost all the crime it's not the dude down the street who like didn't pay his taxes okay it's hsbc laundering hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars it's governments committing massive fraud okay so we look at the total amount of financial crime it is overwhelmingly done by banks corporations and governments right so um bitcoin has a real ability to start to check some of those excesses okay um and i think it's 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 pretty exciting in that regard um it allows people to have a little more control over their money uh and allows us to check their excesses i you i see it very much as a progressive technology very much in the same way that the internet allowed us to like get democratize access to information to people and in the way that democracy kind of like like ended the monopoly over governance from like kings and tyrants right so democracy distributed power to the people right tremendously progressive force that now has changed almost half the world the internet did the same thing it democratized information bitcoin's going to democratize money so you see it as a really i think is quite an exciting development that potentially could liberate tons of people and right. give them a little more power and check the excesses of like big governments and corporations uh which is unfortunately kind of the world we've been living today and alex i think all these efforts obviously towards those human rights towards giving people liberty freedom empowering them to take control of their own money their own finances uh this takes a vision obviously you're positively obsessed with this vision yes um and this takes a lot of leadership uh, now the question to you is what is your definition of a real leader well in the context of our conversation i would say that a leader in this space would be able to shrug off some of the skepticism and kind of see through to, to the, the potential opportunities here and be huge humble okay be humble about their belief system and be able to understand that like there have been things which have changed everything right there have been developments which have been paradigm shifts right and not to be too arrogant about how they think money works and just to like step back for a second and just consider these things that that, that I've, I've said many others have said and, and, and observe what's happening around the world as people are starting to use this new technology uh, to empower themselves and escape from like financial oppression um, so a real leader here would kind of like strip themselves of their sure sureness about the future and about the existing system and be a little open-minded 
to the fact that big things might be coming, right? So Jack Dorsey would be a great example of a real leader in this space because he has risked a lot as the CEO of Square and Twitter to start investing in Bitcoin infrastructure, both from a profit point of view with the cash app, it's like the best way to buy Bitcoin, one of the best ways to buy Bitcoin in America, and through creating this thing called Square Crypto, which is like a kind of like a independent autonomous research institution, which is going to support kind of scientists and mathematicians who are working on Bitcoin. So I think he's an example of a real leader who's doing something that everybody else thinks is totally nuts, but he's he's visionary. So that that's kind of what I would hope, you know hope people can consider. Well, Alex, you too changed my perspective today on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I appreciate so. you coming on the show yeah. here in San Francisco, California at the Singularity University's Global Summit. Alex, thanks for coming. Thanks, Take man. your time today. Really appreciate you. Pleasure. And we appreciate you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Alex Gladstein. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Interesting, right? An interesting take. And I will say one thing about real leaders. They are the crazies. And we are the home of the crazies. The people who are visionaries. Who do things when people say it can't be done. So I will not turn away anybody who thinks that way. And I'm glad Alex stopped by on the show today. And we hope you learned something new. With that being said, if you enjoyed this interview, please, by all means... Leave a review, scroll all the way down to the bottom on Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show so other people can know what to expect when they land on the channel. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode.